Support for the Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. She would have had her own cooking show these days. You know, this is sort of a, a snapshot in time of what that particular part of Florida had to offer. I'm Delia Colon, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. This year marks the 80th anniversary of Cross Creek Cookery by celebrated Florida author Marjorie Kinnan Rowlings. Today, we'll learn what the cookbook reveals about celebrity, race relations, gender roles, and more in Florida past and present. Marjorie Kinnan Rowling's memoir, Cross Creek, reads like a time capsule of life in rural Florida. Published in 1942, the book became an instant classic for its descriptions of natural beauty, farm life, and 1930s race relations in the hamlet of Cross Creek, which is located between Gainesville and Ocala. Much of the book centered around food, so a natural follow-up that same year was Cross Creek Cookery. To mark the cookbook's 80th anniversary, food journalist Jeff Houck wrote about Cross Creek Cookery for the summer 2022 issue of Edible Tampa Bay. Jeff recently visited our Tampa studio to offer his reflections on Marjorie Kinnan Rowling's Cross Creek Cookery. Marjorie Kinnan Rowling's, I think by any modern standard, would be known as a badass. She just was. Uh, When you put her in the context of somebody who was born at the end of the 1800s, you know, she grew up in Washington, D.C., moved around the Northeast, uh, became a journalist, as much of a journalist as you could be as a woman in the early 1900s. So she had a great writing style that was very personal. She wrote advice columns. She wrote a variety of things. But at a certain point after she got married uh, to Charles Rawlings, they uh, came down to visit a uh, brother of his who happened to live in central Florida. And she fell in love with the rural atmosphere and the exotic land. And they moved in the 1930s to a place called Cross Creek, which is sort of midway between Gainesville and Orlando. Charles was not what they would call an outdoorsman, but he went with his wife. And everything that evolved from her life, for what we know publicly, came from that decision to move south. Wow. Okay, so what do we know publicly? What is she best known for? So a lot of people know her for her breakout work, which is called The Yearling, which probably most people have either read or seen the movie of, star Gregory Peck. She went on to write other books, uh, including a, a novel called Cross Creek, which was more of a, a memoir of her life living in that rural area right on uh, Lake Orange. But she she sort of came into her writer's voice by writing about that life and people found it intoxicating that there was so much color and vibrance to living in the backwoods of Florida. It was, you know, back then Florida was in the middle of a land boom. People really weren't aware of anything other than what was on the beaches. And she painted this vivid, vivid picture first in the yearling, which was a fictionalized version of something that actually happened. And then in cross Creek, which was much more about what her life there was and how she kind of assimilated herself into this culture that nobody except her would have seen had had they not lived in that place in that time. There were white families, there were black families. They all got along by living off the land and sharing and helping each other. And eventually they kind of 
took her in and taught her the ways and she was just trying to learn as much as she could and she translated that to the page and it just became a worldwide sensation. So what time period are we talking about when she's coming up as a writer, like World War II era? You know, really, The Yearling uh, was in the 1930s. Cross Creek was published in 1942, at the beginning of 1942. The Yearling won all kinds of awards and acclaim and was, you know, a best-selling novel. It was what back then was a very prestigious thing, which was Book of the Month Club. And that, as a result, gave you a worldwide platform. Uh, It's sort of like uh, before there was Oprah's Book Club, there was – the Book of the Month Club, because when they tapped you on the shoulder and said your book was worthy, people who, you know, let's, you know, again, there was no internet, there's no television, it was radio and books. And so uh, once The Yearling was a sensation, that kind of set her on the way to writing Cross Creek. And then, like I said, at the beginning of 1942, when it came out, the book was published by the Book of the Month Club in a format that would fit snugly into a soldier's uniform and people were just starting to be deployed as a result of the Pearl Harbor attack. There weren't USO shows at that point. There weren't a lot of entertainment options. So uh, the Book of the Month Club published it in a format that could fit in the uniform. And it literally was close to their heart as they went into battle or they, they started to deploy in forward areas everywhere around the globe. And so when Cross Creek came out and it was so descriptive about her life there, she started to get all these letters about the food, primarily because, you know, these guys were having their rations and weren't really that delicious. And she was writing about these beautiful foods that that she would make at Cross Creek with the help of Idella Parker, who was her maid, and then also the food that was shared uh, and the recipes that were shared by the people who were living near her for things like bear, Mm. you know, bear roast and all these, you know, alligator tail and, and, you know, in addition to, I make it sound a little more exaggerated than it is, but there were, you know, hoe cakes and grits and okra and things that were native to that area. But it was very, very rich in uh, wildlife and fish and turtles and everything. And you, you ate what the land gave you and she liked to eat, which uh, not a lot of women admitted back then, to be honest with you. That was not something that men really looked for as an attractive part of the personality uh, as well, weird as a, that is. I, I am on the other hand, I think that that is the finest quality somebody can have. That's why you and I get along so well. Exactly. We have similar <laughs> appetites. Um, but she also liked to entertain. So a lot of these dishes wound up being part of her entertainment. When the publisher asked for her to write a sequel because cross Creek was so popular, she's like, well, I'll just, I'll do a cookbook and it's a cookbook, but it's really a literary cookbook. It has a, a great deal of narrative in it. It explains where some of the inspiration for the recipes came from. And she cites Adela Parker in several places. I think there was probably more that was influenced by Adela and other people who lived in the Creek than just her, because some of these things obviously were not popular when she lived in the Northeast. There's a big call for turtle up in the, you know, upstate New York or anything. But she just, she kind of, when she came to Cross Creek, she absolutely, for lack of a better metaphor, swallowed it whole. She loved everything about it. Her husband did not and wound up departing, but she she loved the land, how hard it was, how exotic it was. She loved the people and she loved the the food that she came to uh, to be able to create there. Wow. Okay, we're going to come back to Adela Parker. Mm -hmm. But in your article for Edible Tampa Bay, you Mm -hmm. wrote that the cookbook 80 years later is perhaps Florida's most important and least remembered pioneering cookbook. Say more. The 80th anniversary of anything in Florida is important. And such that this was 
she would have had her own cooking show these days. You know, this is sort of a a snapshot in time of what that particular part of Florida had to offer. It's not taught in schools. Cross Creek is still on reading lists, whatnot, uh, you know, in high schools and grade schools. But this cookbook was sort of a, a side project to take advantage of the popularity. And, you know, I was a food writer for, you know, a long time and I hadn't heard of this cookbook. And so when I tripped over it this time, I was kind of embarrassed to be honest with you. And then I read it and it infected me the way that Cross Creek had infected me. Uh, it just got into your soul and you're like, I, there's something about a book that you can literally replicate the flavors of the recipe that makes it um, three-dimensional to me. It, it jumps off the page. I don't think that there's anybody who said, I'm going to start a restaurant that will be like that. But there is a restaurant called The Yearling in Cross Creek that pays homage to the popularity of that book and also the Cross Creek life. But it stands on its own as a, as sort of a document of of pioneer Florida living. And pioneer years weren't that far you know, removed from where we are now. Yeah, just a couple generations. You make such a good point that if she were around today, she would have a cooking show, an Instagram account, a line of pots and pans at Kohl's. She'd be a superstar. She would be. And uh, she would. She was the Martha Stewart of her time for her friends because she loved to entertain. She loved to have people there. She had all kinds of famous authors come through, both there and then when she also lived over on the East Coast. She lived in Crescent Beach. She would entertain Hemingway and all these other, you know, all these other writers. Um, she was friends with uh, Zora Neale Hurston, you know, who's best known for living in Fort Pierce. And and sort of being that area's regional voice, and they had mutual respect for each other's talents, and Zora would come in and stay with her. She loved to entertain. She just was so dynamic. She hunted. She fished. There's a, a photo of her standing up in a boat, which is never a good idea, standing up in a canoe after having speared a crab. You know, it wasn't about killing or anything like that. It was about the ingredients and the the adventure and the stories behind it. And also, you know, it's hard to write about what it's like to eat turtle if you've never caught turtle and cooked turtle. You know, you have to be authentic to what that uh, that piece of uh, of writing is. So, yeah, I just I, I I think that she was ahead of her time. She had uh, just such a dynamic personality, especially given the era that she lived in. But uh, she was she was a force of nature, and the fact that her her writing and her uh, legacy and even her home live on, you know, we're a good sixty years after she passed, is uh, is testament to that power. I think. Mm. So her home is now the Marjorie Kinnan Rawlings Historic State Park, mm -hmm. which is open to visitors. Mm -hmm. Have you been there? Oh yeah. So my wife and I went up in January, and um, just a perfect, beautiful blue sky day. You know, I went to school in Gainesville. I never, I never went there, and I'm kind of again, sort of embarrassed that I never did because it's such, it's sort of Florida's Graceland, for lack of a better term. You know, it's got a beautiful plot of land. It is a little slice in time in terms of architecture. A little dog trot house. Um, when she bought it, it had a huge orange grove. The whole idea was that they were gonna they were gonna grow citrus and make money, and that was a lovely goal. Didn't work out that way. It's a lot harder than it looks. But if you go there, you know, some of it has been lovingly restored. Well, it's all been lovingly restored, but there's volunteers there that will, that give tours. One of the barns has been recreated. The tenant house is there. The kitchen was sort of remodeled to be period specific with a wood-burning stove and oven. But even the yellow gingham curtains in the kitchen are what 
she used to have, you know, the replicas of what she used to have. And we know this because her maid, Idella Parker, helped with the restoration of it. So she came back to the creek and, and helped them kind of show them what, what it looked like at that time. But you walk through the bedrooms, you walk through the dining rooms. There's the screened porch where she used to write, you know, next to her ashtray with Lucky Strike cigarettes. Um, she loved that spot because she could look out and see the orange grove. And, you know, in the mornings, the, the sunlight comes up over the east and just kind of fills the house with beautiful golden light. It's an enchanting place. And, and if you go there, you walk through and you're like, I can't believe anybody wouldn't want to live here. I mean, I understand there was no air conditioning and plumbing was sort of um, – a work of fiction at that point. She thought she had really made it by the time she had enough money to put in a running toilet. She not only was artistic, but she was um, sort of the MacGyver of Cross Creek. She she took what limited knowledge she had about living in that kind of environment and really mastered it. It was a kind of place where the birdbath would freeze solid in the winter. You got to rely on your on your fireplace. It's you know, when you go there and you see it firsthand and you and number one, you feel the passion for the place that the volunteers have and the and the park managers have for it. Uh, I mean, there's a beautiful, robust garden that's there that's tended. And she planted that first off when she got to the creek because that was sustenance for her. That was that was a way to kind of survive and thrive. You know, there's chickens running through the yard, beautiful citrus trees. There's a wonderful trail that leads behind the house that runs right up to the lakeshore. Uh, it's like a nature trail and there's little facts on signs that, that you can read about it. And it's, it's a beautiful little cypress stand there that it's, it's a very vivid place. I, I would recommend anybody who lives in Florida and loves Florida to, to visit it because it's a one of a kind experience. You're such a good storyteller. I love the oh. picture that you just painted with <laughs> words. I gotta go there. Thank you. Do you think she would have been considered a feminist? You've mentioned that she was ahead of her time. I think the phrase, and you know, there's a, a Marjorie Kinnon Rawlings archivist named Flo Turcotte, uh, Elliot Kleinberg, another historian I interviewed. Um, we're all of the same mind that that she was progressive for her times, and her times were not progressive. Support for the Zest podcast comes from Seitenbacher brand natural foods like muesli cereals, oils, oatmeal, energy bars, gluten-free fruit gummies for the kids, organic coffee, and more. Available in supermarkets, health food stores, or online at Seitenbacher.com. I think her independence, and this is coming from a man's perspective, so please forgive me. I'm not judging at any point. I think her independence was not in her mind feminist. It was just Marjorie. And she tended to attract people who had a similar personal power. And um, I think in, in retrospect today, she would definitely be called that, but she was just being Marjorie. And, you know, especially in the, in the Jim Crow South at the time, she would insist that Idella accompany her to places that um, Idella was not welcome and by law was not welcome at the time. And Idella wasn't always comfortable doing that because of what she knew the South to be. And um, Marjorie didn't care. She was just, she was just drag her along. There was a, a great YouTube clip of Idella talking about how she just decided one day she wanted to drive into town and Ocala and go see a movie. And she wanted Idella to go with her and Idella parked the car and somebody stopped Idella from going in after Marjorie had gone into the movie theater and Idella wasn't going to go in there. And finally she came out and grabbed her by the hand, took her in and Idella doesn't remember the movie because she was too afraid. 
Marjorie feared very little. I don't know if that was a confidence of her abilities or just her personality. I don't think she was trying to take a stand for anybody but Marjorie and the things that she thought were right. Whatever she set her mind to, she would accomplish. And she wanted who she wanted along for the ride. You know, that's not to say that she she necessarily was as progressive as she eventually became um, when it came to, to Idella and race relations. But the humanity of cooking and the humanity of sharing the ingredients of the creek, especially with the other black families that lived on the creek, humanized the concept for her. I talked to several people who said, yeah, I think she would be at, at some of these rallies now. She would be up there advocating on behalf of, uh, of equality and, and, and racial justice because it's just how she lived. She didn't know any other way. She didn't care about it. She had to follow the laws according to you know Florida and its ridiculous kind of separation at the time. But you know, segregation was not something that she thought it was. It was a waste of her time, even to the point where you know the first edition of the book, which I have in front of me here, Cross Creek Cookery, has a bunch of line drawings that uh, today would not be considered appropriate. They're sort of stereotypical. Say more. Okay, you've got the book in front of you. I it do. looks like it's a thousand years old. It is a thousand years old. I happen to find it. Do you have a, it insured? I, no, I happen to uh, find it at a secondhand store. I sound like Prince now, um, but I, I happen to find it. I'd never seen what a first edition looked like. I only have this shiny other copy that I have here next to it. But a man named Robert Camp did these line drawings for it. She didn't like the drawings. She thought they were stereotypical, and so for successive editions of it. She did away with them. What do you mean when you say the drawings are stereotypical? Um, you know, the black people that are in the line drawings here, very crudely drawn maids and people like that. They're not, they're, let's put it this way. They're not portrayed as equals. They look like rural folk. I wouldn't say they're exaggerated to the point of being minstrelly or anything like that. But it it gave her enough distaste that she advocated that he not be used again for any of her other books. If you're looking for signs that she knew what the score was, that tells me a lot. There's a, a myth that Zora Neale Hurston, who was black, was not allowed to stay in the main house when she came. She had to stay in the tenant house. And that's not true. That is just not true. She allowed Zora uh, and encouraged Zora, uh, invited Zora to stay in the main house with her. There was a tenant house on the property that people assumed that uh, – Everybody who was black who was a guest would have to stay in, and she wouldn't have that. Wow. I do think she would be up on stage at those rallies. And I think about, like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's The Notorious RBG and the T-shirts and the swag. And I'm like, this notorious is the— Notorious MKR? No, the Notorious MKR, for real. Like, what a <laughs> what a hero. Like, what a great role model for our daughters and sons. I like that black people were not invisible to her because it sounds like back in the day— the maid would have been invisible. And she's like, no, you're coming to the movies with me. Right. You're helping me with this cookbook. Talk about, circling back to the food, talk about Idella's influence on the food. Sure. Well, like, for instance, there's there's a point in the book where she talks about Idella's biscuits. And they were so scrumptious that she always had extras waiting, especially for the men, because they were so great. But, you know, it's it's sort of, and this isn't just Florida and it isn't just this time. You know, one of the reasons that French cooking is so good is because the peasants learned how to make great things with the cast-offs of the nobility. That's where the mother sauces came from to cover up all the flaws in that ingredient chain. 
And the same is true with anybody who lives in the backwoods area is that the, the poor people always wind up making the most with whatever they have. And it's always delicious. There are lots of recipes in there that people would recognize, uh, you know, lobster dishes or whatever. You know, there's 56, I think, pages of desserts alone, um, which tells me that those were the product of social gatherings where someone might share a recipe for a cookie or share a recipe for something else. She had a great sweet tooth, loved to, like I said, loved to eat. But I think she would pick up cooking techniques um, from Idella and uh, a few others that she would apply to whatever she was cooking at the time. It was weird because – not weird. It was a little incongruous, let's say that, in that when she was entertaining, there are photos of her with her literary guests or close friends, and they would bring in the help to sing and entertain. So she was an equal on some levels when some people weren't around and then less so when, you know, social situations were happening. It wasn't like Idella had a seat at the table. But for the time period, I think that that especially especially now you could look back and say, yeah, far, far ahead of her time. Mm. Not to give her too much credit, but it's um, that was a very hard place to live for everybody involved. You know, at one point. She and Idella had it out over the fact that Idella wanted to go to church on Sundays, but she had to work at the house. And at one point, Marjorie gave her the keys to the car and said, go. On Sundays, just go. And so she she lent her her car to go to church, which um, sounds small, but I think that that was, again, another sign of the relationship. That doesn't sound small. I wouldn't lend someone my car today. Can I borrow, can I borrow your car, Julia? I got to run across the Yeah, my yeah. mommy mobile. Sure, you can have that. Okay, you talked about desserts. Yeah. There's a recipe for utterly deadly southern pecan pie. Oh, yeah, I dream about that. Yeah, let's make that later. What does that reveal about the sense of humor of the notorious MKR? You know, I fell in love with this part of the book because it's not until deep in the section on desserts. I mean, it's the, it's her most famous thing. It's the most notorious thing. It's this unbelievably rich, very sweet, hyper-sweet um, pecan pie. And part of that is she had pecan trees. And I just realized I said pecan and I pecan. caught that. I caught that. Sorry about that. Where are you from originally? You know what? I'm from pecan. Pecan, um, Yeah, that's what my grandmother used to say. Actually, she used to say pecan, but that's okay. Um, anyway, this this has cane syrup, which is really hard to find these days. It's got lots of sugar, lots of butter, vanilla, eggs. And then what she has in the recipe is called broken pecan meats, which I had never heard that before. That's pretty awesome. But she she didn't like it herself. It was popular, but she you know, with her guests, but she didn't like it so much so that she put right afterwards the recipe for my reasonable pecan pie. And there's a there's a great line in here when it introduces the second one where she goes, I've nibbled at the utterly deadly Southern pecan pie and I have served it to those in whose welfare I took no interest, but being inclined to plumpness and having as well a desire to see out my days on earth, I have never eaten a full portion. And she's right. I ate a slice. And first of all, I, I couldn't speak because the smell when you're cooking it is enough. But then when you eat it, it is like concentrated evil. And then, you know, the, the, the way that the, the toastiness of the pecans works with the, the cane syrup, it's just my house smelled like heaven for like a week. And it, it just it's a wonderful pie if you like super intense rich pies. But 
she liked uh, desserts up to a point, and then afterwards she saw the excess of what that pie was and kind of I, – I like the idea that she shot down the pie in her own book and then gave another version of it. <laughs> Equal opportunity. Right. Oh, I got to make that pie. All right. We're, we're wrapping up here, but she wrote something that you quote in the article, which is this. Country foods such as those of Cross Creek have in them not only butter and a dash of cooking sherry – but the peace and plenty for which we are all homesick. Do you agree? And what do you think that says about the lessons we can take with us for today? Well, she wrote that at a time when the world was in upheaval. And the letters that she was getting from soldiers expressing their um, longing for the foods that they grew up with really told her it wasn't always about the food. It was also about the um, collegiality of getting together around a table and how important that was. When we're all in a little bit of crisis, you know, we all have our little go-to sweets or foods that soothe us. And, you know, these men, largely men, were writing to her from very far away from home, usually for the first time. And the the book was so evocative to them that it was a reminder of what they were fighting for. It was a reminder of those whom they loved who would cook for them, you know, that maybe they might not have seen how important it was at the time, but being away from it really was. But there's there's something about gathering around a table. It's more than just the food. It's more than just the cooking that satisfies on an emotional level. And she understood that here, you know, in a time when we are not at full plenty these kind of recipes can remind us what is good in the world, what is simple and good and, and pleasant. And uh, I think she took great satisfaction from this book also being popular uh, when it came out in, in Christmas of 42. It was really a love letter to that way of life in Florida. Food journalist Jeff Houck wrote about Cross Creek Cookery in the summer 2022 issue of Edible Tampa Bay. Visit our website to find a link to Jeff's article, plus photos from his visit to the Marjorie Kinnan Rowling's Historic State Park, and you know you want to try it, the recipe for utterly deadly Southern pecan pie. It's all at thezestpodcast.com. I'm Dalia Colon. I produce The Zest with Andrew Lucas. This week we had help from Chandler Balcom, Mark Hayes, and Hannah Abdel-Majid. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2022.